Good to see you. Uh, we are going to continue our lesson. This is uh, part two. And this is arguably, I'm just warning you guys, this is the hardest, maybe. It might be the hardest one of all to preach because it is uh, it's the one about the, the really stuff that's not fun. And it's, there's nothing good in this one. Uh, so we looked at the, the first one, the dream last year. So we looked at the dream, today is the struggle, then the growth, and then the understanding. And we're kind of looking at the story of Joseph and how Joseph went on this journey where he had the dream, then he had all the bad stuff, then he had all the good stuff, and then he figured out what it all meant at the very end. And so last time we looked at the dream and we talked about like, well, what did... What is the dream? What is your dream? What does God put on your heart? What's the vision that God, you have for your life? Um, and so today, we're going to look at the struggle. And gosh, there's, so the, like the preacher in me, like there's a thing that I think about a lot. It's like the fine print. Like when I say something, sometimes I'll have like fine print where I'll be like, hey, here's a declarative sentence, but here's, you know, it's not that simple. Like, there's a lot more to it than this. This whole lesson is filled with fine print because everything I'm going to say, if you look at it from a different point of view, you could think of, you could see it differently. And that's going to be totally obvious right at the beginning of this thing. But what we're looking at is the struggle. What we're, what we're looking at is suffering. Bad stuff that happens to us. And that's just not a fun thing to, to preach on. It's not, it's not a good, it's not a fun lesson. But that's part of the journey, and we're going to dig into it. So if you remember Joseph, they talked about his dreams, and then we talked about some of the bad stuff that happened. So right in verse, in chapter 37, it says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, he took it, they took him and threw him into the cistern, just a big hole in the ground. And then later, when the Midianites' merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So he gets beat up by his brothers. They throw him in a pit, and then they come back. They don't rescue him. They sell him to people. And that's not where it stops. There's more, lots more bad stuff that, that happens to Joseph. So then he goes to, into slavery, he works for Potiphar, and then his master's wife accuses him of a crime, and this is what happens. In, verse, in chapter 39, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And then he's in prison, he has more dreams, he helps this uh, cupbearer, which is really cool. He helps tell the cupbearer, hey, like, you're going to get out of here. Cupbearer's like, sweet. And he says, just do this one thing. Don't forget me. Like, remember that I'm down here and I helped you. So when a time comes for you to help me, remember me. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. This is like just a, a brief sampling of the bad stuff that happened to Joseph between the dream and the good stuff. So today... We're going to look at suffering. Now, I have, the next thing we're going to do is I'm going to look at, 
the four main types of suffering. Now, you may know that I do this kind of thing every once in a while where I try to make like a graph or a chart or some sort of like infographic thing. This is, this one has to be handled so delicately. But I swear, if you hang in there with me, this can help us change the way we think about this stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell us the four main types of suffering, and I'm going to give some examples, okay, and some reasons why. And so we're going to populate this whole thing, but I'm going to do it little by little so it doesn't overwhelm you. So the first, the first that I put in here is random, meaningless suffering. Stuff that happens to you that has no cause. Or might have a cause, but it, you can't blame anyone for it, okay? It just happens. And guys, some people, especially young people, sometimes you want to, like, we, we love movies or stories where it's like, everything happens for a reason. But the older you get, sometimes you realize, you know what? Sometimes stuff doesn't happen for a reason. Sometimes stuff just happens. And so I'm, I truly believe that some stuff just happens. It's not your fault. It's not someone else's fault. God didn't do that to you. It just happens. And we're going to look at that a little bit. Some types of suffering are the consequence of sin. Like someone is bad. They do something bad, and it affects us. And now we live in the consequence of their sin. This can be applied to a person, or it can be applied to the whole world. This is the consequence of sin. Some kind of suffering, though, is the consequence of your sin. When you're dumb, and you do dumb things, and you now have to live in that realm of, I did dumb things, and now I'm suffering because of it. And then there's the, the fourth one that I'm going to talk about, and that's the tests, the trials, and the discipline. Now, this is super important, what I'm about to say. There is a big difference between causing something to happen and using something that happened. And that is so important that we see God through this lens. Because God does cause bad things to happen to us. And I'm going to talk about that. He causes things to happen to us specifically for tests, trials, and discipline. He does not cause every bad thing in the world to happen. But he, we, he is capable of using those things to help us or train us or grow us or do whatever. So we're going to go through this list, and I'm going to populate these things. Just know, like, when we go through these things, it's going to get really complicated. But I'm, I'm, I want you to hear me clearly. I'm not saying that everything that happens is because God decided this has to happen to this person right now, okay? And hopefully that will make sense by the time we're through it. So, like, what do I mean by randomly, random or meaningless things? Well, so for instance, like, let's start with natural disasters. Like, God made a physical realm, and the realm, this realm is ruled by laws and there's physics, and there's, we have something called nature, and things happen. When it's sunny here, it's raining somewhere else. And if that weren't the case, then that means we have no wind, and the planet would be stagnant and die. But we have, we have weather. Weather happens. And you can't blame God 
for every storm that happens. You can't say, man, a tornado hit my house. God hates me. Now, we're going to come back to this, but I, I believe that natural disasters just happen. God didn't, like, send the earthquake to wipe out Mexico City or whatever. But, like, diseases. Diseases are a function of, a, of living in this world. It's not that God, like, is smiting people here and there with every, every time you get sick. Same thing with death. Guys, everybody that you know has either died or is going to die. That is a function of living in the physical realm, the, the, the way it is now. And so when someone dies, it might not happen at the, in the perfect way or in the, in, at the perfect time. And so it's, it's always tragic for the people that are left behind. But we can't think that every time someone dies, like God said, I'm, I'm checking you out. Like you're done and I'm going to hurt everyone around you. Like everyone is going to die. And so we have to be very careful not to say that God causes these things to happen. But he can use these things. I want to go back up to the top. There are things, things just accidentally happen. So like if you're, if you forget to look both ways and you got hit by a car, like did God punish you for your forgetfulness by sending the car to hit you? He didn't. It's just an accident. And there's, there's a certain freedom that comes from saying accidents happen. Not everything is God punishing people. And I'm going to talk about punishment a little bit. But let's, mo let's, let's move on. Why, why, what's the point of this spiritually, though? Because bad stuff happens. Well, this is a reminder that the world is broken. Like, when I see disease and death and natural disasters, like, I, I look at things and I say, oh, this is a reminder that we live in a world that is not the way God created or wanted it to be, but the world is broken. The realm that we're living in is not functioning perfectly, and that is fine with me. Let's move on. The consequence of sin. So this would be things like, the, like wars and the Holocaust, and when someone hurts someone else and that person is a victim of a crime or an abusive relationship or just injustice on a large scale or on a small scale. Like, people are sinful, people do evil things, and the consequences of that has far-reaching effects on people for generations across nations. We live in that world where the things that happen now are like the the consequences of things that happened and products of products of products for, for millennia. And so this is one of the things that happens. And why, why, is, why is this? What's the reminder? Well, the reminder is that people are broken too. Everyone you see around you is a broken, hurting individual. No one is living exactly the way God would want them to live right now. Hopefully we, we can do our best, but people are broken. So if you flee a nation that is victimized by war, you're like, man, the world is broken and people are broken. If you are the victim of a crime, you're like, man, that person, he's messed up too. Like, people are, people are broken at their most foundational core of their soul. And then there's the time where your suffering is a direct result of your, your sin. 
What's some example? There's a lot of examples, way more than I could fit on a little chart like this. But like, if you if you go around hurting people and then now you have to live in that realm of like, man, now no one likes me. If you make bad choices with your money, guess what? Now you have to deal with pe people trying to get their money back from you or be just being broke. And it's not all, it's not all a consequence of your sin. But this is an example. If I decide, hey, I want to go jump off the roof because it's fun, well, then I get to like be in a cast for the next six months. Things like that. Like we, we make poor choices and then we have to live with the consequences of those choices. And the reminder there is that we're broken too. Like all of these things add to a life of suffering. The world is broken. Everyone in the world is broken, including you. And so what that means is that life is not always joyful or, or easy. And yet, God can use all of those things. For what? Well, for our good, if, if that's his case, or literally just to bring glory to himself, but he can. So like, you know, Jesus is a great, 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 great grandchild of David and Bathsheba. Like, God was able to use the sin to do something great. It's not that God caused David to, like, cheat on his wife and kill his friend and then do, the, do all this and take advantage of this woman. Like, he didn't, he didn't cause it, but he was able to use it for good later down the line. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is all fine print. Because everything I say could be super, super misunderstood. But there's another type of, of test, trial, and discipline. This is suffering that God actually decides in his wisdom, I'm going to put some suffering in your life. And this is why it's really hard. Because look at that list. That's a horrible list of things. And now I'm going to say, yeah, and sometimes God does that to you. It's not fun. And so you're going to see there's a lot of overlap. And I could, I could have listed tons just from my life or just from the Bible. But there are times in the Bible where God has used things specifically. And prophets and Jesus has said, like, this, God did this to you. But like, so for instance, financial difficulties. If, if God is trying to teach you to let go of greed, there's a very real chance that he could do something. It's not a consequence of your sin. But he's like, hey, I need you to feel this to help you grow past this. I have felt that. Persecution is a way to describe hurt relationships that aren't like your fault. Like, man, I'm trying to be a good person and people still don't like me. Welcome to persecution. Sometimes you're a victim of a crime and it's not that it was like, like, there, there's times where God decides, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this situation, I'm going to bring this situation into your life for a reason. I was robbed as a disciple with a guy we were studying the Bible with. And at first I thought, man, people are broken. <laughs> this guy's messed up. Um, but then as we, as we talked, as my household talked, we got to explore, like, what is God teaching us through that? And we don't know, we don't know if God like caused that to happen, but it was used uh, to some good. And then you can't, you can't leave this without, like literally, it's in the Bible. 
God sent storms and things to, to people. And so God could use almost anything on this list. God could cause almost anything on this list to happen to you. And the point of that is to remind us that God is still working. God is not broken. Everything in this realm that we're now is a broken realm, and everything in it is broken, but God is still working. But here's the craziest thing, okay? As much as this is like neatly organized and blah, 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 but here's the point. Like, you're never going to know what you're experiencing. You're, you're not always going to know what I'm, this is the situation I'm going through. Is God just allowing this to happen to me, or is God making this happen to me? You don't know. That's why this whole journey thing, understanding is at the very end. When you're going through it, you're not going to know. You're just going to be like, I, this is crazy. I went out. Please end it. God, take it away. Like All of those things are going to go through your brain. But you're never going to perfectly get it in the moment. And so I hate to do this, but a lot of the answers to that is going to be in two weeks when we talk about understanding it and figuring it out. But I want to talk a little bit about God's will. So we're going to look at that last one. It seems crazy that God would make bad things happen to us. It seems unfair. It seems that's not the God I want to worship. And this is where, especially people my age and younger, we can get into this habit, and maybe you've done this, where you're like, well, if I was God, I would do it X, Y, and Z. And that seems like a better plan, and so I'm not going to believe in God. The, the amount of pride in saying something like that is so astronomical. God is like laughing at us. Like, oh, if you were God, everything would be perfect. Sure. If you were president, things wouldn't be perfect perfect. The more power that we got, we'd probably not make the world a better place. But God's will is uh, something that we will probably never understand. But I want to talk about suffering. So I got a lot of verses in this point, okay? In 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Doesn't stop there. Hold on. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, real quick, that is consequence of your sin. He's like, hey, if you're going to go through life suffering, do everything you can that it's not a consequence of your sin. Then he says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Guys, that sentence should like terrify us. 
What in the world does it mean to suffer according to God's will? Well, I think that's why we're looking at Joseph. Because Joseph is a good example of a guy who's like, hey, God has me on a, a journey that I know nothing about. And this is a wild ride. But God's obviously doing this. And he says it at the end. We also, last week, we looked at Paul when he became a Christian. Um, the, the Lord said to Ananias, like, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for me. So this whole point is just to reinforce the fact. I'm not even going to give you lots of answers. I just want you to know it is completely biblical that God does stuff to us. Here's, here's a great verse in James. We all know this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, now we're bringing in this word. We're going to see this word a little later. It's called perseverance. And so if we, if we had a contest of everyone in this room of who could hold a plank the longest on the floor, we all get on the floor, elbows, stiff back, we hold a plank the longest. Some of us would be like, uh, like immediately. Our muscles would be shaking and be like, uh. Some of us could hold it for a long time. John could probably just knock it out of the park. Like, you could probably hold a plank for a long time. Wherever you are today, if you decided, I'm going to hold a plank as long as I can every day for the next two months, I guarantee you that at the end of two months, you'd be doing a lot better. You'd be able to do it longer. Why? Because you hold it until you can't hold it anymore, and then the next time you can hold it a little longer. And that is... When you're in it, you're like, this is horrible. But the next time it's a little less horrible. And the next time it's a little less horrible. This is what Everett is going to try to accomplish with cross-country training. <laughs> but it's like, man, there are so many aspects of life where you don't learn perseverance when it's easy. Like there's something about this word. There's something about this thing in our character, perseverance. God, can you download perseverance to my brain? I just want to become, become it magically. And God's like, that's not how this works. And so I'm going to give you things that aren't going to hurt for a little while, and then you're going to become stronger from it. And that's what we're going to be looking at. But hold on, I got lots more verses. Let's look in Philippians 1. Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is Paul. He's like, life is hard. Remember how I came to you and I was like, this is horrible? And you're like, I want to I be part of this too? And you're like, it's not going to be easy. They're like, sign me up. And guess what? Now you're finding out it's, it's hard. And I'm telling you, I'm still going through it. It's still hard. It doesn't necessarily get easier. But this is a beautiful scripture where Paul is saying, don't be mistaken. Like, this is in God's character to, to make sure we don't grow up spoiled brats. Like, things are going to happen to us. 
And all of us old people are like, man, things have happened to us. It's not been easy. But check out in Hebrews. Here's a little context. This is a long verse, but it's great. 12, 4 through 11. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, most of us here have not ever shed blood in our fight against sin. We might have shed blood in other fights, but we haven't shed blood in fighting sin. The closest I've seen in my 21 years of being a disciple is that there was one brother who didn't want to help another brother with his car. He decided to repent of his selfishness. He helped the other brother and scraped up his knuckles really bad, and he bled. And he's like, ah, I shed blood. Ah, this is for you. Um, but in your life, it's going to be too comfy. Your struggle against sin is not going to be like actually fighting someone. You haven't shed blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So that brings in another point. This idea of discipline because we are in a relationship. And so I have two boys. I have disciplined them over the years. And at the time, they're like, meh. I don't like this guy. But I hope over the long run, they appreciate that I love them. Here's how it goes on. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had humans' fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? goes on. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, even though we're all messed up. Every dad is a broken person. They disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, here's my point. There's going to be some of us, even in this room, there's going to be some of us that read that and they're like, that's not the God I want. And, and I'm just here to tell you, I don't have a perfect answer for you. I believe that that is the God, the creator of the universe God. And so now it's my job to live in submission to that. I don't get to decide who God is. And so we live in a very like postmodern culture where we read something like that and we're like, no thanks, I'll make up my own philosophies. I'm just saying, now that I have, have lived some, I'm like, man, I'm gonna put myself in that story somewhere. And so the question that I would ask us. It says, it says that all of this, this discipline and this pain and this suffering, it says that when it does its job, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace if I have been trained by it. And I want that. I want a harvest of righteousness and peace. That's what I would love. It. I would love it if when I die, people come to my funeral and be like, man, his life 
was a harvest of righteousness and peace. I would love that. But am I letting this do its work? So here's my question. What is being produced in your life? Do you see God as as actively working on you? Like, man, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's, it's good, but it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it feels crazy, terrifying. But throughout it all, I know that God is right there. He's doing something in me. What is being produced in your life? We're going to get to this in a little bit. Sometimes, here's my warning, sometimes we run from the discipline, so we never get anything produced in us. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. If you were at my, at the the all-Michigan service like three or four years ago, I I did this point, and I'm going to talk about it. We're going to talk about hashtag hope culture. Hope culture. If you go on Instagram and just type in hope culture into the search bar, there are thousands of pictures of just, you know, here's me at church, or here's my whatever cute picture. or Like literally there's some on there that's just like a beer. Here's like me and my wife. Here's me and my daughter. Hashtag hope culture. And it's really cute, and it's really adorable thing to say. And hope culture is a very popular hashtag. I mean, it's not like millions of things. Well, I'll, I'll show you, because I'll show you how many it is. But it, this, is where, this is where I'm going to take us to. In Romans 5. This is one of the most important verses for me on the topic of suffering. It says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Hashtag hope culture. We boast in the glory and the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Remember, we said we were going to come back to that. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And so, it's easy to say, I want hashtag hope culture. It's easy to say, oh, man, I love hope. I love the word hope. I love, you know, Instagram posts with hope. I love everything hopeful about my life. Hope, hope, hope. And yet what Paul is saying here is like, hope doesn't magically just appear in your life. Hope comes from something. Where does it come from? It comes from character. Well, where does character come from? It comes from perseverance. And where does perseverance come from? It comes from suffering. And so here is, I literally just did this yesterday. If you type in hope culture into Instagram, there's 1,775 posts, but then it goes on. There's like hope culture counseling, hope culture find me, hope culture church, hope, I don't know, hope culture 2015, whatever that is. Like hope culture is all over social media and people, it's very marketable and everybody loves it. But what about if we type in character culture? 
oh my gosh, it's there with 57 posts. Well, that dropped off precipitously from 1,700 to 50. I wonder what we'll find if we search for perseverance culture. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Dare we even look up who is tagging their pictures on Instagram, hashtag suffering culture? No one. And guys, what's funny is this is, this is just Instagram. But this is a glimpse into the heart of every single human being. That we want the surface level good stuff that God wants to give us. We want hope. And as a minister, it's easy for me to sell hope. Come to our church and we'll give you hope. It'll be amazing. You can put that on the billboard. You can buy a bus ad. You can do all this stuff. Hope. And I might be able to market character. I might. If you come to our church, we've got classes and Bible studies and training and a kids program and a this and a Wednesday night, whatever, and like all this stuff. We can help you. If you're struggling with anger, we have the cure for that. If you're struggling with this, we can help you with that. You need help with your marriage, you need help with your parenting, we can help you because we build character here. But guys, if we actually started an advertising campaign around perseverance, like come to church and keep coming for the rest of your life and maybe something will happen. People will be like, nah, I'm good, thanks. But even that is better than trying to market suffering culture. Can you imagine if you tried to like buy the billboard out here on 96 or 196 and it's like, come to the Grand Rapids Church of Christ where you'll suffer. We have perfected the art of suffering in our church. Come, we'll help you through it. No one would come. They'd be like, that's the dumbest idea ever. It's because no one wants suffering. But here is my dead serious warning to you guys. There are certain parts of the Christian life that will require suffering. You cannot access certain parts of living like Jesus if you refuse to ever undergo anything that hurts. So how does that look in our life? God has a plan for you. Men, God has a plan for you to be a certain strong man of God, maybe a husband or a dad or, you know, something. But the amount of change and growth in your character that's going to take from, from where you are now to where he wants you to be is going to hurt. One of my best friends, Chad, he, he, he dated and he had, I remember we were counseling his, like, one of his, his dating relationships and he's like, well, we're not going to fight or get into any arguments. And Jen and I are like, <laughs> but when you do, we'll be here for you. He's like, well, we're just going to like pray and love God and be spiritual about it. I'm like, <laughs> but when you do, we're here for you. And then he, he actually preached a, a, this lesson back in Ann Arbor where he's like, man, he was married at the time. And he's like, man, the, the searing pain of being married and like God just like refining me as a husband. It's taken more humility than I've 
I ever thought it would. And all the married people were like, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. But that's just one. Like, there's so many parts of your life where you are, you're at, you're at A right now, and then at some point, God's like got this great vision for who you can be. And I'm so sorry to tell you that for, to get from where you are to where you're going to be, that it's going to hurt at times. And if every, if every time it hurts, you run away, I'll, I'm just telling you, you'll never get, you'll never achieve your potential. Literally, apply that to any exercise routine, and you, it makes perfect sense. Apply that to any elite athlete. Anyone who's going into the Olympics. I mean, shoot, we're watching the French Open this morning, and I'm like, man, I'd be winded after five minutes of doing that. And they're going oh, nonstop, over and over. And the amount of pain that any one of those athletes had to endure to get to that point would destroy me. And so guess what? I haven't subjected myself to that much pain. And guess who's not at the French Open right now? Me. All right, here's where I want to bring it to Jesus. We're going to take uh, communion in a little bit. John 12, 23. Jesus replied, this is where Jesus predicts his death. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And here's where he says the most amazing thing. Now, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, one of the most amazing questions that someone posed to me when I heard them talking about this verse is, do I say this the way Jesus said it, with a question mark? Or do I say it with an exclamation point? Do I say, Father, save me from this hour! Or do I say it the way Jesus said it? Or here's a better way. Is it, Father, save me from this hour? Or, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so what we see here is Jesus talking about he knows he has to die. And he uses the example of a kernel of wheat. You got this kernel of wheat, and if it stays like this, it doesn't do anything. But if I plant it in the ground and it stops being a kernel of wheat, it can actually make more kernels of wheat. And Jesus is like, that's me. I'm the kernel of wheat. I'm going to sacrifice myself so that you can have more. And then he goes on to say this. What should I, do, you want me to, do you want me to cry out and say, God, rescue me? This is why I'm here. And we're the benefactor. We were the beneficiaries of all that. And now we get to ask ourselves the same question. And this is a great communion. So we're thinking about how Jesus phrased this. We need to ask ourselves the same question. The next time, the next time you feel suffering, 
where you're like, man, what I'm going through right now is horrible. I hate every second of my existence right now. This is what you need to think about. Do I want God to like pull me out and rescue me? Or do I want to stop and look around and say, God, is this why I'm here? Is there something about this that I should be paying attention to? Like, why, why is this happening to me? And unfortunately, this is where I'm doing the worst thing a minister can do and say, like, come back in a couple weeks and I'll give you the answer. But the point is, we're not always going to know when we're in the middle of all the craziness of life. We're not going to know what's happening. We're not going to know why it's happening. We're not going to know anything. But I want us to, to think of Jesus. He, he was like, I'm, I, could, I could ask to be rescued, but I, I'm looking for the reason why I exist. And so we're going to take communion now. And, um, and as we can continue going through this, this series, guys, this is like the, the one that's just not fun. It's, it's a hard lesson. That sometimes life is filled with pain and struggle and suffering. And it's not all God's fault. God's not punishing you. But God is with you. He was with Jesus in the garden. He's with us now. He's got a plan for, uh, for the rest of our lives. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we will take communion. Amen. Um, God, thank you so much for being with us, even during the, the struggles. Thank you for being there during the suffering. God, I know that you're not causing every bad thing in our lives. Sometimes we cause the bad things in our lives. God, I pray that we can, when we're experiencing those things, I pray that we can look around and look for you. We can try to figure out what's going on. And I pray that if there is growth that needs to take place in our characters, through perseverance and through suffering, if it will produce hope, I pray that we see it as worth it and that we understand that a relationship with you is amazing compared to anything we could go through here. So God, thank you so much for Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross. Again, we love you and we pray all this in his name. Amen.